day that the Lord has made. Let us rise and sing. This is the day. Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that we can come together this morning for this time of worship. Lord, we're thankful that this is the day and that you've made it. And Father, I know there's some days we question that because of things that go on. But today, Lord, we're going to acknowledge that. And I pray that this, spill, this thought spills over to everything that we do. That no matter how tough things get at times, you are there. No matter how great things get, you are there. This is the day that you have made. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good, morning. good to see you today. It looks like you're all, I'm looking just to be sure. Yeah, I think you're all happy to be here today. So it's good to have you here. We're here to lift up Jesus together. Amen. Amen. And so we're going to do that together. Please make sure you fill out your connection card. If you're watching us online, we ask that you do the same so that we can keep contact with you. And at this time, the praise team is going to continue lifting the Lord up in song with you. We're going to do this together. Yes. Carries them all day long. 
this is by a special request. Guess who? Life is easy when you're up on the mountain and you've got peace of mind like you've never had. But then things change and you're down in the valley. Don't lose faith, for you're never alone. For the God on the mountain is still God in the valley. When things go wrong, He'll make them right. faith when you're up on the mountain but talk comes easy when life's at its best but it's down in the valley of trials and temptations that's when faith is really put to the test. For the God on the mountain is still God in the valley. When things go wrong, he'll make them right. good message. Thank you, Lee. How many of you made it to this inspiration? Okay, for you all that didn't, you really missed a, a really good evening. It was a lot of fun. Going to do one in January, I believe, and I'm looking forward to it. So, and the, I have to admit the food was really good too. So, somebody made some of these cookies that were just amazing. I won't mention Linda's name, but uh, yeah, they're really good. <laughs> How willing are you to follow the lead or the direction of another person? 
It's an easy question, isn't it? Many of us would say, well, it depends on who the person is and whether I trust them, whether I respect them. Now, let's say the person in question is somebody that you trust and you respect. Are you willing to be submissive to their leadership and their, to their direction? Now, if you're listening carefully, you notice I switched some terms. I went from following their direction to submissive. That's a nasty word, isn't it? Americans don't like that. I moved from the direction of saying, you know what, hey, would you follow them to? Would you be willing to be submissive to them? And the word submissive makes things much more complicated. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, well, you know what, yeah, I would be willing to be submissive, how far down the rabbit hole are you willing to travel? How far will you allow that submission to take you? Now, let's move that thought from thinking of another person to God. A person baptized into Christ who claims Jesus as their Lord and Savior is called to be submissive to God and to his will, hence the title of our message this morning. And I think that's a fair statement. I don't think that's overstating it. I don't think that's misreading Scripture. If you're a Christian, you're called to submit your will to the will of God. But the question comes to this. How far down the rabbit hole of submission are you willing to go with God? How far? Are you willing to submit to God even when he tells you to do something you don't want to do? Oh, man, what is he talking about? What if God's leading you to do something difficult, costly, or, difficult, or hard to do, you know, which difficult, same thing. Are you willing to do it? How far down the rabbit hole are you willing to go? Today, James is going to take us down a difficult path. It's difficult for many of us. This idea of submitting to someone else's will, specifically to God's. At times, God is going to ask us to do things that are difficult and costly. Things that when we do them, it's like this makes no sense whatsoever. So what do you do when you face those situations? It's easy to do what God wants you to do, to follow his will when it's easy and profitable, you know. It does you good. It gives you recognition. But when those aren't the case, how far down the rabbit hole will you go? Following God is awesome until it costs you something. Then for many, it gets very difficult. The big idea to the message this morning is very simple. True religion or true faith submits to God's will for our lives. That's part of the package. We're going to be in James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. I want to read the whole passage and we'll break it up a little bit as we go through the message. So we're going to begin with James chapter 4, verse 7. So submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Man, he goes at it here. Make your hearts pure, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and weep. Turn your laughter into mourning and joy into despair. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now that's our encouraging passage for the day. Just kidding. So the first thing that we're going to see here, and we're going to find this in the first part of verse 7, is a call to submission. The call to submission. Now, James teaches on submission follows what he's already taught in chapter 3 and in chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, when he talks about some of the moral exhortations. Now, at the heart of all attempts of right living, of all the attempts to have, if you will, true, true faith or true religion, 
It's our relationship with God. That's the linchpin. That is what will determine how far and if we will even go down the path with God. The more that you trust, the more that, the more that you believe, the more that you love, the deeper down that rabbit hole of submission you will go. Now, James goes to this thought because in verse 6, just prior to verse 7, he quotes for us uh, Proverbs 3.34. It says this, With arrogant scoffers he is scornful, yet he shows favor to the humble. That's the direct passage from, exit from, uh, from Proverbs. So the thought in verses 7 through 9 is simple. We need to submit to God because he is scornful to the arrogant scoffer. For those who resist him, God is not happy. For those who say, well, I love you, Jesus, but we won't follow him, that's not good. In verses 7 through 9, we're basically given a, cho given a choice. It's a choice between friendship with God or friendship with the world. And what that friendship with God looks like, the ability to develop a friendship and a relationship with God is built on the idea of being submissive to him. And when you really think about it, all relationships involve the idea of submission. Parent-child, husband-wife, wife-husband, all of these things, supervisor, employee, <clears throat> all the relationships in our life have an element of submission to them. Now, different, depending on the relationship, it will depend on how deep you go. But what does this nasty word submission actually mean? The word submission is built on two root words. One of them means to be under and the other to place oneself. So the literal definition of submission is to place oneself under someone else. Now what you notice here is sometimes we think of submission as, okay, I'm gonna beat you into submission. That's really not submission in the biblical sense because submission involves an act of the will, a decision that's not coerced. It's like, I've decided, you know the song, I have decided to follow Jesus? No turning back, no turning back. It's not, I have been drugged to, make myself, to some, have somebody make me follow Jesus. You know, it's not that way. It's a voluntary act of the will. The idea to yield yourself to God, to what is necessary for your welfare. To yield to God for, to his will. But it's a decision you have to make. We got this nasty thing called free will, and I, I bet all of us wish when, when we had our kids they didn't have that. It would be nice to, okay, we'll get on the phone. Here's what you're going to do today. We're going to program it into you. But it doesn't work that way. And God never takes your free will from you. In a biblical sense, submission is a voluntary act of the will, a decision to follow and to obey. To submit means to arrange or yield to someone or something greater than you. In our case, that's God. In the case of a working relationship, it may be your boss. So we, we understand that concept. But it's a voluntary yielding, not coerced, and it carries with it the connotation of humility, which we'll talk about. It takes humility to be able to submit yourself to anyone. <clears throat> and in our society today, it's very popular. You know, the be careful how I say this, the extreme feminist movement is like, I don't need no man, then don't marry one do everybody a favor and don't ruin his life too. Because in the marriage, or if I say, I don't need no woman, well then don't get one. Do her a favor and don't be with her. Don't be with one. Because there's an issue of submission on both sides. And if I've got that attitude, well, I don't need no one, I can get by all by myself, well then do it. All by all means, do it. Because now you are getting into the realm where you will not be a person who says, you know what, I need to submit to the will of my spouse on both sides. 
And that spills over into our relationship with God. I'm not submitting to anyone. Really? But that submission has to be something that you want to do. When James quoted uh, Proverbs 3.34, here's what he says. This is how he puts it. But God gives greater grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so in the context, submission is a readiness to submit to whatever God may impose on you, whatever he may impose. And we see this throughout scripture. Hey, sacrifice your son. Put Isaac on that altar. That kid you've been waiting for all these years, you know, I promise that I'm going to make you the father of many nations, but here you are in an advanced age, you know, where most people say you can't have kids. Let me tell you something. God popped that surprise even at our age right now. I'd be like, what? be, oh gosh, chasing a little rug rat around like that. That'd be horrible. But yet God says, put him on the altar. And he did it without a problem. Many times we see through scripture where God is saying, here's what I want you to do. And people are like, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Sometimes there's a little bit of argument. Gideon, I don't think, can we, can we see some signs here? <laughs> but ultimately, he decided to follow. And if I'm going to stand before God with a bunch of pride, he is not going to give me grace. He is not going to deal with me when I'm so stuffed with pride. If anything, he will humble me. And so therefore, we have to come to God with humility. Humi- humility. I said humility. With, <laughs> with blah, blah, blah. Um, we'll talk about humility a little bit later. But the characteristic, this is a characteristic of humility. It's submission. Submission is a tricky subject for people of all ages. In our postmodern societies, we value autonomy and self-direction. Within evangelical churches and even in youth groups, there are wonderful teachings on submissions, on submission, I should say, within relationships, and this happens regularly. But some people have abused that privilege too, in the home, in the church, in the workplace. So it's tricky because it's not like everybody who submitted, it's all gone great. It's It's all gone well for them. Because sometimes people mis- misunderstand what it really means. God is not going to put you under something and beat you to death to make you follow him. It's just not going to happen. Now, as a parent, some parents say, I can't make my kids mine. Yes, you can. But you'd rather not have to go that path. You would rather them voluntarily submit to your will because you're doing what's best for them. That's a great relationship. Well, the second part of verse 7 tells us this. Resist the devil, and what will he do? We'll flee. See, the devil's the great deceiver. He sows seeds of doubt, and he goes on the offensive when he sees you have a weakness. Remember Eve? Satan had been watching her, looking for those chinks in the armor. And what did Satan do when he planted with her? He planted the seed of doubt. Eve, I'm paraphrasing, can you really trust God? Eve, God's not really looking out for you. He's cheating you out of something. He's holding you back. So why don't you just go ahead and do this? Boy, doesn't that look good? How could God withhold something? If God's a loving God, how could he withhold that beautiful fruit from you? Why would he do that? And if he really loves you, wouldn't he want you to be like him? But boy, he, you know. So the Satan was very crafty. And in your life, he's very crafty. He will get you to buy into things that we should never purchase. When the devil went to Jesus, and it wasn't in Georgia, by the way, 
in Matthew chapter 4. Some people get that one. Second service, I won't pull that because I have no idea what I'm talking about. What did, what did Satan do? Ultimately, here's Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights, suffering, tired, no food, nothing. And what does Satan do? He tries to give him things to entice him. And all those enticements, most people think, oh, he's trying to get him to drink, trying to get him to eat. Trying. No, what he was really trying to do is to avoid the cross. Because G Jesus was ultimately going to go to the cross. And it was going to be difficult, beyond imagination. Remember, Jesus was a guy. He was a man, fully man and fully God. So he, was going to, he wasn't going to be immune from being beaten to death. And Satan's saying, hey, you know what? Man, if you'll just do this, you don't have to go to that cross. That's the implication of all those things. You... But what did Jesus do? He resisted the devil, and the devil running with his little pointy tail between his legs, if he has one. I like that imagery. And he left. You don't have to lose. You don't have to succumb to the pressure of temptation. You don't have to succumb to the pressure. You don't have to bow down to sin. You do not have to do any of these things because you have the power to tell Satan to flee. And many times he will dog you and dog you and dog you. Oh, I got, oh, woe is me, woe is, I just can't take this. I need to give in. No, you don't. Satan, leave me alone. That's all you got to do. Resist the devil. What does the Bible say? He will flee. He has no power over you. But yet so many of us live defeated because we let him run and ruin our lives. I see this in relationships that are broken all the time. Satan's telling them, you, don't, you know what? You can't trust them. They're going to just go back. You can't listen to them. You, it, it's going to get worse. I'm not talking about physical abuse type relationships. You need to get out of that. But a lot of times, a lot of marriages, almost like 80% of them, when there's no physical abuse, no third person, person going on, no drug abuse, they can be fixed. But Satan's like, no, you can't. Remember this? Remember when this happened? Remember when that happened? See, you have the power to send that loser home. Use it. Use it. Don't succumb. Don't allow him to destroy you. To destroy your family. If you're having trouble in your marriage, for instance, don't let him destroy your marriage over stupid stuff. Satan, leave me alone. Use it. Use that power. You won't regret it. You'll feel more powerful. Jesus has defeated the gates of hell. Jesus has defeated the devil. And through the power of Jesus, so can you. Are you going to use it? Let's look at verses 7 through 9 again. Submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Make your hearts pure, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and weep. Turn your laughter into mourning and your joy into despair. So the next observation we're going to make is this, the nature of submission. Now, verses 7 through 9 function independently as a cohesive teaching on the nature of submission beginning with the command we examine to submit to God, followed by a series of couplets to describe the nature of submission. The first couplet's found in verses, the last part of verse 7 and in verse 8. We are directed to resist 
and draw near. There's your couplet. Resist, draw near. So from the, neg- from, the, from the negative to the positive. When we develop a relationship, a friendship with God, those who seek to draw near will not likely be in places where they can't draw near. In other words, we won't go to places where we wouldn't take Jesus with us. When we're developing that relationship, we, would not take, we wouldn't go to places where we wouldn't take Jesus as that grows. It's like, oh, I want to be very gentle with this. Sometimes when, sorry, I saw a rabbit out there. Uh, (laughs) Jason, just caught my eye. Um, Sometimes when we're, I'll just go with men, when they were younger, they would go to certain places because they were single. But when they were married, they wouldn't think about taking their wife there because their life has changed. Nor should they think of it, by the way, but they wouldn't do that. And so when we come to Jesus, there should be places in our mind, literally, where we won't go. Because we'd like, I don't want to take Jesus there. It'd be embarrassing. And so that's one of the things that we see. Submission, if we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. We want, but we want to know, how, well, how do I draw near to him? Submission, in the biblical sense, always serves a purpose. James says if we draw close to God, what does he do? He'll reciprocate. It's a, a simple analogy is this, the training that an athlete goes through. For the Olympics or even to be a pro athlete, they submit themselves and their bodies to rigorous training so that they can do what they're called to do. Um, it's, it amazes me sometimes you see these athletes and man they are sculpted they're fit and then about three or four or five years after retirement they look like the rest of us you know and they're like wow this guy played pro football or played pro baseball and the reason why is they don't they no longer submit themselves to that training and that discipline some do but many don't because after all those years like you know I'm gonna eat some donuts <laughs> you know my salary doesn't depend on how I look anymore but when we submit to God to experience his nearness, this is what athletes do to be able to successfully fulfill their goal. I remember years ago, Todd Marinovich, his dad, when that kid was born, he, he tried to program him to be a quarterback. He ended up flaming out because of daddy issues. And, but anyway, he never had eaten hamburgers. He was always drinking seaweed and protein. And I mean, the, dude was, the dad was just nuts with this kid, trying to get him prepared, all that discipline. You know, performers, singers, dancers, musicians, they go to tutors, they go to teachers. It amazes me, you know, back when he was really, really good, Tiger Woods had a, had a golf coach. You know, Tiger Woods needs a coach? Yep. And they submit themselves so they can accomplish a goal. Drawing near to God entails doing the things that will help us to know God and to know his will. Then we know what we're submitting to. See, if you don't know his will, how can you submit to it? We draw near to God by spending time with him, by communicating through prayer, And prayer isn't just, it's that constant communication. You can communicate with God all the time. We're also, we we draw near to him by spending time in the word because that's where the will is known. That's where we know how to pray for. That's when we see, okay, here's what God's calling me to do. We draw near to God by walking with him and taking him everywhere that we go. It's special. You know, when you go on a walk with somebody that you love, it's a special time. But the same is true with our relationship with God. When we draw close to God, we do so with our hearts, 
with our minds and with our soul, with everything in us. And as we do that, God will get closer and closer and closer. It's not just an issue of lip service. You know, Jesus spoke about this. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so, you know, an example, if I'm talking the talk, I need to walk the walk. Drawing near to God is also a privilege. You realize in the Old Testament, the only people that could do service to God the way, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the Holy of Holies and stuff was the priest. Nobody else had that privilege. To be able to be in the presence of God was a privilege. And, you know, we all have that opportunity in Exodus chapter 19. Let the priests also who approach the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break through against them. Everybody just couldn't just come strolling into the Holy of Holies. If, you know, they, they would put a rope around the high priest when he went in in case he did something improper so they could drag his dead body out when he got struck down. <laughs> That's how serious it was. It's a privilege to stand before God. And we're just like, eh, it's, it's like our Bibles. You know, there are countries where you can't get a Bible very easily. I had friends that used to smuggle them into the, into the Iron Curtain during, during that time period back in the 80s. And they were telling me, Professor Curtis told some amazing stories of how that stuff worked. But we have so many of them, it's so convenient. Eh, okay, it's a Bible. It's a privilege to stand before God. It's a privilege to be in his presence. And we need to treat it that way. Now we can all draw near to him. It's a blessing. The second couplet in verse 8b describes the inner and outer meaning of such an important, the, such, the, the, the very important aspect of repentance. When he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, make your hearts pure, you double-minded, what he's doing is he's really speaking to repentance because I can't humble myself to God, I can't submit myself to God's will if I'm not repentant. And drawing near to God must be done with clean hands and a pure heart. In James chapter 4, verse 2, he says, You desire and you do not have. You murder and envy and, do not, and cannot obtain. You quarrel and fight and do not have because you do not ask. See, part of being submissive to God is saying, Lord, I need to change. Repentance is a change of will. It's a change of direction. It's looking at your life and saying, you know, God, I know I'm not where I need to be. I want to be with you. And a lot of times we talk about baptism a lot, which we should. We talk about faith a lot. But repentance just kind of gets, oh, repent and be baptized. It's like repentance is a second thought. But when James is telling them, hey, you need to, you know, here's what's going on. When he goes back and he tells them, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Make your hearts pure. He's saying, don't just be clean on the outside. Make sure that you're fully mine. As a matter of fact, we have to allow God to do that. Psalm 24 says, the one whose deeds are blameless and whose motives are pure, who does not lie or make promises with no intention of keeping them, such godly people are rewarded by the Lord and vindicated by the Lord who delivers them. And so this goes to the heart. It goes to the heart. It's not just what we do on the outside. The Pharisees. <laughs> They condemned Jesus and his disciples because, well, you aren't following all the ceremonial stuff that we tell you you have to do, the tradition taught. But Jesus kind of smacked back. He punched back. He counterpunched and said, oh, okay. You guys look really good, but you're a filthy mess on the inside. James isn't just promoting outward cleaning, but a purification of the heart that leads to proper actions. The heart will lead to what we do. James tells his readers they cannot be double-minded in serving God. And when he says, hey, you double-minded, in other words, he's saying, quit trying to serve God and serve the world. You've got to choose. You're going to serve one or the other. 
And by trying to serve both, by definition, you're not serving God. Because our God's a jealous, jealous God. He's not going to tolerate me trying to be of the world and be with him. The third couplet fleshes out what repentance looks like. He says, be wretched. It describes the grief one of experience when, they, when we fall to sin. When we fall to sin, it's not, oh, well, eh, the devil made me do it. I can't, it's okay. I'm the only human. No, when we sin against God, it should devastate us to the point where we're like, you know, I don't want to do that again. In the marriage, you ever done something, we'll say unintentionally, to hurt your spouse? If you're a normal human, be human being, you'll do everything in your power not to do that again because you don't want to hurt them. You don't want to hurt them. Verse 9 is very hardcore. Look at this again. Grieve, mourn, weep, turn your laughter into mourning and your joy into despair. These actions and attitudes in verse 9 will lead to repentance because if I'm not going to grieve, if I'm not going to mourn, if I'm not going to weep, and I'm just laughing off everything I've ever done, I'm really not going to repent because I don't think I need to. It's funny. You know, you see, I've seen videos with little bitty kids um, uh, where people are, the little kids are they're foul-mouthed. They're cussing. And everybody's just laughing it up. Oh, that's so funny. It's so funny. Uh, I remember the first time I said something like that in front of my dad. I think I was 14. <laughs> and he looked at me, where'd you hear that? And I literally, I'm like, well, from you? That didn't go well. <laughs> and I remember one time, by the way, I think it was lava soap does not taste good. <laughs> my mom shoved a bar. I think we had lava at the time. I, I may be wrong, it's been so long, but I'll never forget. I said a word in frustration. I was probably about eight years old, I think. And she drags me into the bathroom and sticks the bar of soap. And we're going to wash your mouth out with soap. I'm like, well, at least my breath smells good. But James wants the readers to understand the importance of repentance. Let your laughter turn into mourning. He wants them to see the gravity of what they're doing. And I think sometimes we just get so flippant with it, there's no gravity to it anymore. I mean, we have gravity to the big things, but a lot of the little things, we just, this is why they're continually a struggle because we just kind of let them keep going. Or we'll excuse them, well, that's just Joe, you know, he's got a temper and he's just going to blow off at everybody, you know. We can't make light of sin. We just can't, but yet we do. But as you get closer to God, you stop doing that because you want to please him because you love him. Let's look at verse 10. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So now we have the call to humility. Verse 10 concludes with a summary command to humble ourselves. It's, it's a thorough description of submission in this passage. Resisting the enemy, drawing close to God, repenting both inwardly and outwardly, and genuinely, genuinely grieving our sinfulness. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, I tell you that a man went down to his home, went to, down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is a parable that Jesus <clears throat> taught to, to talk about the attitude of heart that humility. The Pharisee's out there praying. He sees this sinner out there praying, as they call it. And the Pharisee's, you know, the sinner's just, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. He's humbled himself. And the Pharisee's like, thank God I'm not like him. And the Lord, you're lucky to have me. I'm such a good guy, man. And this is where Jesus says, that Pharisee is in trouble. But the sinner who has humbled himself before the Lord will be exalted. Humility is the essence of repentance. 
Have you ever been around a person who basically, for all intents and purposes, never apologized for pretty much anything in their life? They could burn your house down on purpose or accidentally and not apologize for it. Or they would say, I, I'm sorry, but I didn't like the color. You know, or your, your weeds were too big. I mean, they literally won't apologize. You ever been around a person that won't apologize for anything? I've been around a lot of them. You know what the problem is? No humility. Something's happened in their childhood. They got mommy or daddy issues or whatever. Something in their childhood says, I can never be wrong. And they will not. Or if they give you something that's half-hearted, it's like grabbing the kid by the scruff and tell him you're sorry. You know, it's really heartfelt. Or there's always a caveat. I'm sorry, but when you throw the butt out there, it just negates everything else. You're either sorry or you're not. And see, people who won't submit themselves, they won't humble themselves to apologize, they got, a, they got a problem. They don't have humility. Let me tell you something. With my kids, there were plenty of times I had to go apologize. <laughs> and it wasn't easy. But if I was wrong, I didn't have a problem letting them know, you know what, I handled that wrong. And forgive me. Now let's go to Dairy Queen. I'll get you something for my sin. <laughs> <You know? laughs> the problem with that is I wouldn't want to just do it so I could get Dairy Anyway. But one is not, when one isn't humble... They won't see a need for repentance. And if you don't see a need for repentance, you'll never submit yourself to the will of God. You won't need to. I want to share a quote with you from the College Press Commentary on James and Jude. It says this. In this, the heart of the epistle, James speaks to the contemporary problem of the worldly Christian. A great percentage of our population claims to be Christian. But what makes a Christian? Are we a Christian because we attend church and hear sermons? This is self-deception. Listening to the word is not good without obedience, James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. We are Christians because we believe, are we Christians because we believe certain things? Well, faith without works is dead, according to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 25. Are we Christians because we pray? No, even prayer can be evil if we pray for selfish pleasures. Do we claim to follow God while at the same time following the standards of the world? When we do, we are enemies of God. The old television commercial years ago said, who says you can't have it all? James says God says that. You can't be worldly and follow him. Worldly may conjure up memory of thoughts of, well, don't smoke and don't drink and don't dance, those type of sermons. But worldly is much more specific than vices. It's an attitude of the heart. It's a heart that won't be submissive to God. It's a heart that's not humble before God. It's a heart that will just do whatever is convenient for them. Our application point this morning is very simple. We submit to God when we put him first and order our lives so that we can draw close to him. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and sing a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. Man, God has done so much for us. We sing a song in second service called What He's Done. And that song just is amazing because there's so much that he has done. He's done everything for us. He's laid it out on the table and says, come and partake. The life that you're living right now outside of him does not have to be that way. The torment that you may be suffering even as a Christian doesn't have to happen because he gave you the power to tell Satan to get away. But this morning, this morning, if you're ready to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning. The Bible teaches us that that begins with faith. You put your faith in God for your salvation. 
And then that leads us to confess him as our Lord, which leads us to repent because we know we need to. And then we're baptized into Christ where our sins are washed away. We receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We rise and walk in a newness of life. We clothe ourselves with Christ at that point. If that's what you need, we offer you that. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward so we can extend the right hand of Christian fellowship to you. And maybe this morning you're really in torment and struggle and you need some prayer. If you come forward, I'll be glad to pray with you or one of our elders, Roger Wood. But this morning, if you have a decision, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing our song of decision together.
you ever stop to think of the one thing can cause you to think of something else? Someone mentions something and you might say, oh yes, uh, that reminds me, that makes me think of do that all the time. There are similarities that bring two things together. We've just sung Sweet Hour Prayer. And certainly the words to that song make us think of prayer and our prayer time together with our Heavenly Father. It's a special time when we talk to Him, when we bear our souls to Him, when we draw near to Him, and we share with Him in an intimate manner. It's a time of sweet fellowship. It's a time of encouragement. It's a time of strengthening and a time of help. You know what my prayer at time brings to my mind? This communion time. For here, I come face to face, so to speak, with my Heavenly Father and Jesus. Here, I talk with Him, I share with Him, I draw near to Him, even more than in my prayer time. Here is the intimate, close relationship with Jesus. I'm strengthened, I'm encouraged, I'm helped, and I feel his nearness to me that I cannot feel anywhere else. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. from a world of care and bids me at my father's throne make all my wants and wishes known that's our prayer time there's another one that says here O my lord I see thee face to face here would I grasp and touch and handle things unseen here grasp with firmer hand the eternal grace of all my weariness upon thee lean here in communion time draw near to him right now and allow him to draw near to you Lord God, we thank you for this special time that we can draw near to you. That we can feel your presence that we can feel nowhere else. We thank you for this special time that we can just know you. Feel your love and your graciousness. Bless us as we thus partake of these emblems, reminding us of your love and of your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.
On the inside of your bulletin, we have our announcements. Uh, we have elder preacher meeting at 3.30 today. Jerry's groups are, are going full steam. Roger's group's meeting this evening. Stitches of Love goes on Monday. We have our leadership team meeting on Tuesday. And then we have our Bible studies and, and such through the week. Uh, Operation Christmas Child is doing a fundraiser at Gunny's Barbecue. That'll be neat. The Sunshine Ladies are meeting at Culver's on Saturday. And um, there was one other thing I'm thinking about here. Oh, we have announcements in here about OCC and their fundraisers. So we encourage you to take note of that. It's a good way to get some good food and also to help uh, Operation Christmas Child. And um, prime time in, in, in August is going to be held at Bright Spot. So we'll, we'll have a sign-up sheet out here pretty quick. Lori, Lori's having a life group for ladies on Wednesday starting September 6th. There's a sign-up sheet for that. And um, uh, uh, school is in session, so we'll, we'll start taking donations again for Peach's Pantry, non-perishable food items, no glass containers allowed. And uh, we, we want to be able to thank folks who can help in that realm. I think that's all the announcements we have for this week. So on the back of your bulletin, we have prayer concerns and prayer celebration. A big celebration was the, the Singspiration for everybody who um, put that together and was a part of that. And our praise team did a fantastic job of leading that. It was really good. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, we're doubling their salaries. <laughs> Except for Rod, but anyway. Um, we have prayer concerns about things that's going on in our nation and around the world. We have a lot of people with health concerns. I keep Trudy Munn in your prayers. I went to see her the other day. She looks like she's doing well. Hopefully she'll get out soon. It's good to have Richard back with us and be in prayer for his wife also. And uh, we have a lot of people we've been praying for, so keep them in your prayers. We have troops who are deployed. We have our shut-ins that we've been lifting up. And operate, excuse me, this month our outreach is Peach's Pantry. And we're praying for Southern Mexico Mission and looking forward to having Adrian here in, um, in February. So this time, let's stand together. I'll give you an opportunity to lift your heart to the Lord in prayer in silence. And then I'll close with a prayer and our, our praise team will lead us out with a song. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the joy of being able to come together this morning and for that blessing. And I pray, Lord, that as we leave this place, we leave so encouraged, they're challenged, and Lord, that we can show the world how great it is to serve you and tell other people about you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for church this morning. Have a great weekend, Lord, everybody.